Well, welcome to Wednesday night. Whether you're in the room or you're online, we're so glad that you're here with us tonight. And you might notice that tonight looks a little bit different. Where's our band? We don't have singers up here. Um, and so we decided that we wanted to do things a little bit different tonight. So we've been in a series with, that's called You Believe That, where we're talking about our theological beliefs, basically what we believe and why we believe it. And tonight, we're talking about the topic of salvation. And this can be a controversial topic because clearly God says in his word that there's only one way to be saved. And that's really countercultural because our culture really likes to have things customized, right? We want things our own way. And so that can be really hard, a really hard topic. So how do you talk to friends about that? How do you explain this? Why do we believe this? Um, and how do we come to these conclusions? So we thought because this topic is um, so, you know, countercultural that it would take four of us four pastors to explain this to us tonight. So uh, tonight we have Pastor Craig, our teaching pastor, here with us. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Craig, you're awesome. Um, my name is Talia. I'm the executive pastor of ministries. This is Pastor Noah. He's the pastor of our Spanish ministry. Yes. He's awesome. If you have never visited Spanish ministry on a Sunday at 11 o'clock, you should go in there. It's so good. Amazing. It's so good. Amazing. Um, and then we have Pastor Sawyer, our high school pastor. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm the odd one out, okay? It's like a bad math problem. I'm, what's different about this, this panel? It's me. Um, I'm Is that because you're taller? Here. Is that because you're taller than all of us? Yeah, I'm not much taller than you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, no, but I am excited to be here. I'm excited about tonight. I've said this before, but I love what our church is doing on Wednesday nights. It's, it's one of my favorite versions of church. I love that it's community-driven. I love that it's a little bit more conversational. Um, but one thing we definitely still want to do is we want to make sure that we're keeping God at the center of it. And one way that we do that, whether it be at church or in our lives, is worshiping him with our finances. So we're actually going to give you guys a chance tonight as well, like we always do, to worship God with our tithes and our offerings. So if you're in here or you're watching online, we encourage you, you can text the word GIVE to 77247. We also have offering boxes around the building and outside on the patio. If this is your night where you are giving your tithes and offerings, you get a chance to do that tonight before we get into the rest of the service. So please feel led to do that. Yeah, and tonight also, because we're going to be talking about the topic of salvation, we want to spend some time um, towards the end of service praying for people who are maybe in your life who you are praying for their salvation. You are begging God for them to come into relationship with him. And so tonight, if that's you, whether you're online or you're here in the room, and there's somebody that you want us to pray for, that you want us to pray for them to come to know Jesus, um, you can text the word prayer to 77247. And um, if you want to just put their first name because you want it to remain anonymous, um, or uh, Pastor Craig said, if you want to use an anonymous name, like if their name is Craig, but you want to put Bill in quotation marks, we will pray for Bill in quotation marks. That's right. Because you might be watching with them right now, or they might be sitting next to you right now, and you, that would just be weird, like, oh, wait, I'm watching this with Sawyer, like, why would I text Sawyer, so I'll text Bill to, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> so if you do that, we will pray for that person for you, um, but God knows. So we would love to pray for them um, tonight, so go ahead and do that, and then um, we will pray for them towards the end of the service. Um, but right now, before we get started, Pastor Noel, will you open us in prayer? Of course. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that we get to come together as a church to truly learn what uh, the essence of our faith is, and it's you on how you provided a way to be made right with you. I ask God that you would be with our time, that you would uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, for those that are visiting, that they would see uh, that you are good and that you are for us, Lord, but we just invite your presence here in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So uh, if you guys are just walking in, we're really glad that you guys are here tonight. And we are doing this obviously a little bit differently. And as I was sort of pinging Sawyer, uh, Noah, and Talia this week, really the way that I set this up this week was this, that uh, I put message in quotation marks because we're going to preach the word tonight, but I, it's almost going to be a dialogue, a discussion um, about salvation. Because in, in the series that we're in, You Believe That?, uh, we are talking about this idea that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way to be saved. That salvation is only had through Jesus Christ alone, which, by the way, is super countercultural. But it's also, it's also pretty a, a pretty provocative statement. 
that a lot of other religions, which we'll get into in a little bit, uh, really sort of uh, look at as, well, no, there's actually more than just one way. But in terms of what the Bible talks about, which is what we're going to look at tonight, we're going to highlight the fact that salvation is seen through Jesus alone. Usually the way when we go and we'll like preach a message, we'll work our way through a storyline and we'll do point one and we'll talk a little bit. We'll go to point two. And we'll talk a little bit. I just want to give you all three points right off the top because I just want to lay out exactly where we're going in terms of salvation and so the, the three things that we want you to understand about salvation tonight is this. Number one, what is the requirement for salvation? We're going to talk about the requirement of salvation. What is required to attain salvation? Number two, the method of salvation. How do I go about being saved? What is it that I need that will allow me to be saved? What is that method? And then number three, what are the results of being saved? What are the results of salvation, which I'm super excited about, uh, to, to share that. Um, but what this actually does is it's actually putting us, putting a foundation underneath us that is a massive assumption for every single one of us in here. And it's this assumption that we all need to be saved. That's the assumption that we're going off of tonight. Now, some of you in here tonight, you're thinking, okay, this is good. I, I agree that I need to be saved. Um, and so I'll bite. Some of you, whether you are in this room or watching online, you're thinking, you know what? I'm not 100% convinced that I need to be saved. What I'm going to ask of you for our time together tonight is this. Just assume, assume with us for the sake of this conversation, assume that you do need saving. Because if you can flush everything out through that lens, I think will actually be uh, pretty, pretty important. So the first thing that I really want to sort of talk about tonight is this. Why would somebody even need to be saved? We're going off of this assumption that we all need saving. Why would somebody need to be saved? And what would somebody even need to be saved from? This is such a provocative statement, which, by the way, is highly offensive to assume that somebody... You and me, we need to be saved from something. It's super offensive. Yeah, and in Romans, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we take that as Christians. We would say, we've all sinned. But that can be really hard for somebody to admit. Like, I think in the world, if you're going to talk to somebody and you're saying, did you know that you need to be saved from something? Um, especially in America, because we feel like we have our stuff together. We um, do the American dream, right? We, like, build ourselves up. So we are very proud to be self-made, that we can self-help ourselves out of anything. So it's a kind of this offensive thing to say, we're sinners. We've fallen short. There's something not right. But something that I've realized is a lot of people, so if you you're out there and you're praying for somebody um, for their salvation, sometimes people are ready to be, um, they're humbled on their own and ready to admit that they can't do it on their own when something really big happens in their lives. Um, something we see here in kids' ministry is we see people come back to church when they're about to have a baby. Because how many of us, if you have had kids, you're like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm doing. So you're instantly humbled and you come to that realization on your own without somebody having to tell you that you don't have have all the answers and so you can recognize I don't know it all I need God and then it's easier to say to somebody yeah you recognize you have sin also people if you lose a job or you lose your family or you realize you come to the end of yourself with an addiction you're ready to admit all have sinned and fall short and you realize that so um, I do think it's offensive if you're just going out to somebody um, and there takes some humility but People are open to that and being open to that truth when they're in a transition stage in their life or they've come into something really hard that is beyond themselves and they come to that and they're open to the salvation message. You guys have anything on why somebody would need to be saved? That was excellent, by the way. Anybody yeah. else have anything? Preach to it, Talia. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the fall is evidence. You look at Adam and Eve, you look at the first humans who ever lived in the fall, some people call it the initial sin. But the moment that sin is introduced in this world, so are a lot of things. First of all, that is the first sin that introduced sin into all of humanity and all of the world. The moment that sin was introduced, so were a lot of consequences for it. Death is one of them, Genesis 3:19, the same chapter that Adam and Eve sinned, what we see is that God literally says, from the dust you came, so to the dust you will return. And that's Romans 6:23. for the wages of sin is death. One of the consequences for sin is the fact that we are no longer immortal beings. Everyone will die. That is an evidence that every single person is living a sinful, we live in a sinful flesh, right? We also have separation from God. We also have shame. The first thing that Adam and Eve did was that they hid themselves from each other and from God. 
right? There's a lot of things from that. Also, sufferings of this earth. There's a lot of disease. There's a lot of pain and suffering in this earth. That's an aspect of sin. That is not something that God, he wants us to suffer necessarily. He, he wants us to live in connection with him. And eternally, when we get to heaven, there'll be no pain, no tears, none of that. But because we live in a sinful world and everyone is living a sinful life, there's consequences for it. And so even if you're here and you're like, well, I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't cuss, I don't drink, awesome. But by the fact that we are alive on this earth, we live on a sinful earth and we are sinful beings and we need to be saved and forgiven for that sin, no matter how good of a person we are. Yeah, I think um, you nailed it. Uh, Sin, in essence, separates us from God and we have a God who made himself responsible for that. And the relationship that we once had in the garden, as you spoke of, uh, was broken when man fell into sin. But Jesus restored it, and we are able now to connect to the Father because of that. That's something that he did, uh, and that's what we need saving from so that we can stand in right relationship with God. So. Yeah, that's really good. So tonight we're going to be in John chapter 3, because we're going to actually unpack some of that stuff right here. So if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 3. And um, I love John chapter 3, because what we're about to do is we're about to provide all of the context that leads up to perhaps the most popular verse found in all of Scripture. You see people holding up signs at basketball games. It's oftentimes like the people's favorite uh, 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 scripture in their uh, Instagram bio. It's all the stuff, right? John 3.16, everybody knows it. And so this is the context that sets up that verse, which I love this, by the way. I love diving in and looking at super popular verses and then looking at all the context that leads up to, oh, wow. I thought, the, I thought that verse was powerful already. Now it's way more powerful because I understand the context. So this is what we're gonna lead up to. John chapter three, uh, starting in verse one. Here we go, it says this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replies in verse three, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So these first three verses, there's a lot happening right here. There's so much. There's a ton of detail. It's about who this man is, when he's coming to talk to Jesus, what he says, what Jesus, what are you guys picking up? What's stick, sticking out to you in this, in this initial interaction? Um, what sticks out to me is that he came to him after dark. Like, I want to know why, like, he met, was he hiding from something? And what we know is that because he was a religious leader, he was part of probably the Pharisees group. Um, and so, which means those were the people who, you know, had canceled Jesus, basically. They were saying, you're not allowed, if you're part of the Pharisee group, you're not allowed to listen to him because he's going against all the things that we're saying. So it shows me that this guy was really curious about Jesus, but he couldn't come to him during the day. And so he was brave enough to go to him, but he had to come at night. Um, But he was so curious about this answer, which also he's a religious leader, so he should have known, you know, um, the answers to these questions. And so it's very humbling for him to come and say that. Either he was trying to be snarky about it and catch him in a lie, but it seems like he was genuinely curious, but couldn't ask it in front of other people because then it would mean he didn't know, and he should know all the answers to things. Um, And also he was afraid of what his peers would think, so he came to him at night. I love that he's knowledgeable. Um, growing up in uh, the South, going to church, uh, it's just accustomed to know your scripture. And I think a lot of people here, if you grew up in church, you might know a lot about the Bible. You might be able to copy and paste mentally a lot of Bible verses. You might have some verses memorized. That's awesome. Um, this guy is knowledgeable in his word, and yet he is seeking out Jesus for leadership. And he's, I think, I think Jesus rocks his world here, which we'll see a little bit and even leads up to this verse, but um, he knows his scripture, he knows his law, he knows who God is, he even acknowledges you are clearly sent by God, your miracles are a sign of that. He knows that there are prophecies about a Messiah. I don't, we don't see here, I don't know for a fact that he thinks or knows that Jesus is a Messiah, but he knows his stuff, um, and it's just cool to see that even for some of us who are Christians, who are knowledgeable of the word, who grew up in church, like we still need to experience God on a personal level and still need to be led and, and educated by Jesus, which is really cool. I love that part about it. That's so good. I, um, I see a hunger there. Uh, this guy knows all about the Bible. He knows all about religion. But it seems to me as if there's something missing. And Jesus says, unless one is born again, you cannot 
see in essence who's standing right in front of you. Uh, you won't acknowledge who I am. I think that I could relate a lot to Nicodemus because I knew all the right things to do growing up. I grew up in a Catholic home. I knew how to check the boxes, right? I, I had this experience that was very traditional where um, I did my first communion. I did my confirmation. I checked all the boxes and I had this reverence, this respect for God, right? And, uh, but it was all about religion and no intimacy. And I sacrificed the intimacy uh, for religion. In fact, I remember I'd be on my knees every night just knowing there was more and I would ask God for forgiveness every single night and then I would go fill up my bucket of sin and come back and ask for forgiveness. I'd go to the priest and he would tell me, go do five Our Fathers. Okay, go back the following week. It was a worse week. Seven Our Fathers. Oh, you had a really bad week. 50 Our Fathers and that was the, the tradition that I kind of camped out on but it was, it was empty and um, and I knew that there was something more. And to me, it seems as if uh, that's where Nicodemus is at, that he is striving and not necessarily striving, but hungering for something more. Right, right. And what we see here, obviously, is that, that salvation is so much more than just being a good person, right? Because Noah, yeah. you were doing all of the things that you were supposed to be doing that your religion was telling you mm-hmm. to do. Like, okay, I did this. I went and I confessed and I did all the things. This is great. And yet you were, feel, you were still feeling so empty there was so much that you're like I'm, I'm this isn't this isn't satisfying we see here that that this is so much more than just education right it's so much more than knowledge Nicodemus had all of that and I love that Jesus just like almost cuts him off in such a way he's like look yes you could bore me all day with all this stuff but at the end of the day if you want to enter the kingdom of God you must be born again and that's the crux of this entire thing right here salvation it doesn't have to do with education. It doesn't have to do with knowledge. It doesn't have to do with being a good person. It has everything to do with that phrase right there of being born again, which highlights this idea of why we need saving in the first place, right? If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. This is why we need saving. This is why there's not a, you were, we were dead because of our disobedience, right? It doesn't matter. That, that has nothing to do with knowledge. That has nothing to do with being a good person, right? There's always going to be disobedience because of our many sins. And so we need saving because of that. Talia talked about earlier, Romans 3.23. We've all sinned. That's, the, that's really the unifying thing of all humanity. We've all sinned. We've all, we've all fallen short. So since saving is being born again, where he says if you want to be saved, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. The phrase born again literally means to be born from above, It means to be born from above. Nicodemus had a huge need. He had a huge need. He needed a change of heart. He needed to experience real uh, life-altering transformation. He needed what we would call new birth. This is why what they're about to say is so incredibly relevant. It's an act of God where where God is literally giving you eternal life, and it's imparted on the person who believes. And so that's why that is so incredibly important, and Jesus just addresses that. So when we look at the requirement for salvation, it's this, you must be born again. That's it. It's not about fancy knowledge. It's not about having all the right answers. It's not about being a good person. You must be born again. And so you would expect that right after Jesus says that, that there's an interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus, and you would be exactly right. So let's carry on. Look at verse four. It says this. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? It's a valid question. It's a great question, (laughs) right? That's what I would ask. You gotta be born again. He's just like, I think I know how that worked. I think I I got the talk. Like, I'm pretty sure I know how this is supposed to go, and I'm pretty sure I can't go do that, right? The talk, that's funny. Yeah, the talk, right? <laughs> How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Verse 5, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can only reproduce, uh, can, can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And then look at Nicodemus. He's genuinely curious. He says, how are all these things possible? Jesus, what are you talking about? 
How in the world are all these things possible? And look at, look at Jesus. Approaches him head on. Verse 10. You are a respected Jewish te- teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, uh, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Here's where it starts to turn. Verse 13. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And then an interesting, uh, Jesus does a callback right here. Verse 14, it says this. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I love that. What sticks out? What, what sort of pops out uh, to you in that entire section right there? I would want to go back and say, what is he talking about with the Moses piece, like the lifted up? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'd want to go look at that story to see what he was talking about there. Which is interesting because we just acknowledged that Nicodemus knew, he, knew, he knows what he's talking about, Right. Right? He would have known about Moses, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And he would have known exactly what happened because these are his people. These are the Israelites that he's talking about yeah. that in this time are actually wandering around in the desert. And the specific incident that Jesus is referring to in this moment is in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. If you guys want to flip over to Numbers chapter uh, 21, we're going to be in verse 4. And I love the fact that Jesus calls back to this because look at what he said. Uh, in verse, uh, let's see, verse 10, he goes, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. I love that Jesus, what he's doing is, it looks like Jesus is ticked off at him, right? It looks like he's like so mad, but I believe what he's actually doing is he's trying to explain it in terms that he's like, oh, we, we missed that. Because what we would eventually see about Jesus is this with the, with the, Jewish, with the Jewish people, Many of them missed who Jesus actually came to be, who Jesus actually was. And Jesus is now beginning to point back. This is the beautiful unification of what we see between Old Testament and New Testament. That New Testament is the fulfillment of the things we see in the Old Testament. That everything in the Old Testament is pointing to everything in the New Testament. All of this is pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is trying to help them understand. Don't you see that this was for you? Everything that your ancestors went through was about me, but not in like a prideful way like he would say that. It's about me. He would just say, you're missing it, which is why I love what he's about to, when he, when he talks about Numbers chapter 21. You ready for that? This is great. Numbers chapter 21, verses four through nine, it says this. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor. Uh, take, by the way, they're in the wilderness right now. They're wandering around and they're just lost and they're, it's, this, is, this is sort of the context of it. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. We hate this horrible manna. I want to stop right there for a second. (laughs) Talia, you talked about being a parent earlier, and I feel like I'm reading a section of scripture where this would be my kid. These would be my kids. Yeah. Yeah, this where is, you have a, a refrigerator full of food and yeah. they say, yeah. um, where are we going to go to eat tonight? And I'm like, I just bought all of this food and you want to go out to eat. But yeah. there's nothing to eat. And then you make them really great food and they're like, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel like the Israelites were. Like, you gave us, we asked you for this manna and Jesus, God said, sure, I'll give it. And then you're like, we hate this manna, it's so awful. Eat the manna. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would have said. Eat it and like it. <laughs> So good, mm-hmm. so good. So then check this out. So after all the complaining and all the grumbling, God's heard this, right? Because to speak, it says right there in verse five that they spoke out against God and Moses. So God, maybe he would tolerate speaking out against Moses, right? But God's like, uh-uh, we ain't doing this. You ain't speaking out against me. Because then in verse six, it says this. The Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. I have to stop right here for a second. I have an irrational fear in my life. It's of snakes. Yeah. I am terrified of snakes. Noah, you shared a video with me just like two weeks ago. 
I got to share the story. When we were at that conference, we came out, and the guy had the snake oh, around gosh. his neck. I turn around, and Craig's nowhere to be found. I'm like, where'd this guy go? And he, Is this he yellow, the big old, like, yellow, I don't even know what it's called, the big old yellow one that people just have around their necks? And I'm like, what? Why? It literally looks like, it looks like your shoes, Sawyer. Honestly, it looks like your shoes right there. I'm like, having, I'm having, like, flashbacks now. Literally, absolutely disgusting. So I'm telling you right here that if this were me, I'd be like, I'll eat, all, I'll eat everybody's manna. I'll give me everybody's manna in this moment. I'll eat it all. Like, I can't handle, can't handle the snakes. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. They're like, oh yeah, this is really bad. We have, uh, we have made a mistake. We have sinned. And then notice what they say. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And this is where it gets great. Then the Lord told him to Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who were bitten will live if they simply look at it. All will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. What is happening here? Well, I, um, I love that he says, simply look at it. Mm. And it's almost as if uh, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, if you would just see mm. me for who I am, if you would just see who's sitting right before you, it's so powerful. And it's, for some of us, this might be too good to be true, that all I gotta do is look to Jesus to wow. be saved. That's good. You know, there's a, that, that, that's it. Yeah. And uh, he did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, but sometimes because of our guilt, and I mean, no one had to convince me that I was a sinner. Uh, I didn't feel saved, right? Or be, sometimes we think that our salvation is based on our worst week, when in reality, God says, I've forgiven you past, present, and future. You know, but it's simple. Look at, look at Jesus, and I feel like he's using a clear illustration right here, which is so powerful. Yeah, and look at him for who he actually is. There's a yeah. lot of religions who believe that Jesus existed. In fact, most religions, yeah. right? Islam believes that Jesus was a prophet of God. Uh, Mormonisms believe that Jesus is real and that he's a messenger from God. A lot of religions believe that Jesus is a real person. Even a lot of atheists, we have historical proof that Jesus was living. But so many people don't look at Jesus for who he actually is. And right here, I think you even, I like how you said, like, see Jesus for who he actually is. And Nicodemus, I think, is having a moment where he's, he acknowledges, he's in the presence of Jesus. Like, clearly you're here and clearly you're sent from God but who are you and what are you doing? And this is a cool moment where it's like, okay, I've got to actually see Jesus for who he is as the living God, as the Messiah, which is really cool. I also like a little detail that all the people are like, hey, Moses, can you pray to God and can you yeah. talk to us that, that he can save us? And God does answer Moses' prayer, but it's still, it, like, they still have to look. They still have to see the snake. Like, I think a lot of people are like, well, I grew up in a Christian family, I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter if your parents are Christian if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's good. Right? Like, I think a lot of people rely on, and that, that even you even mentioned that, of growing up and focusing on religion and culture and tradition. It's like, okay, that's awesome that you have generation after generation after generation that have been plugged into a church, but it's not about that. It's about you seeing that snake and being safe from the snake. It's about you having that personal relationship with Jesus. That's where, that's where salvation comes from, not to get ahead of it, but I think that's cool that it's like, it's... It's gotta be them as individuals experiencing that salvation from God. I um, think that it's interesting that there's all these, the, the snakes there, and I really commend, you know, a lot of times we give the Israelites grief, like if yeah. we wouldn't have done the same thing, which we totally would have done the same thing. But in this moment, I don't know that I would have done the same thing as they did, which they said, you know, they went to Moses and said, hey, help us out. We, we realized we did something wrong. Like, will you pray to God on behalf? I feel like me <laughs> as a person, and I think just as in America, we're so about self-help, like I said, um, I feel like I would have been like, okay, everybody, let's come up with a strategy mm. Like if you all, if everybody just takes on five snakes, we step on their heads, you know, like we'll come up with a strategy to save ourselves, mm. you know, and I think that that's what a lot of us do is we come up with a whole bunch of strategies of how we're going to save ourselves mm -hmm. and how to self-help ourselves into, because we don't want to be mastered by God. We want to be our own masters. And really when we're being saved, you know, they were saying we can't help ourselves. We need somebody else to master us. Um, and I think that it's just not natural, like especially yep. 
for us who are here, you know, in a, in a wealthy country. So um, I just I find it fascinating. I really commend the Israelites for going to Moses and saying, can you help us out? We can't help ourselves um, before he gathered everybody to do a strategy of how we can self-help our way out of this snake problem. Yeah. Two things that really stick out to me. First, just the compassion that Moses has, mm-hmm. right? These guys, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, like, complaining to Moses I can't even handle like when my two kids are complaining to me. Like, and yet hundreds of thousands of Israelites are now complaining to Moses. And Moses has the ability, this compassion to be like, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll go to the Lord on your behalf. Like, I'll do it. And I think sometimes, um, I know for me personally, like I'm just, I, I, wrestle, I wrestle with that. Uh, why? Because I'm like, I... I I've, I've had it. I've had it with your attitude, kids. I've had it with your responses. Like, you have been complaining all day. Like, why, why in the world should you deserve this kind of compassion from me? And yet, and honestly, <laughs> Moses, and I, I literally just thought of this, this would be a great way out for Moses to get to weed out some of those complainers, right? <laughs> like, like we'll, wait till, we'll wait till those people over there. Get bit. I'll raise the pole once those guys are done. All right, they're dead. Let's raise it up now. Like, finally, those complainers are out of the way. Like, I, like that, that would be the part of me that would be like, gosh. Like, you know, I just, I'm sick of the complaining. And yet Moses is so incredibly compassionate. But another thing that we brought up that's really interesting to me is this, is that, that go, go back to what Jesus, remember, Jesus is, is calling back to this particular story. He's calling back to this moment uh, that he's having with Nicodemus. What he is essentially claiming here is that God is exclusive. Like, the, he, he, is, he is highlighting the exclusivity of himself, really. Because Jesus is declaring that he is God, that he is the only way to God. How do we, how do we like, come to, grips, come to grips with this exclusivity of Jesus? That he is making this audacious, bold claim that he is the only way to get to God. I have a lot of students that have a hard time with this. I'm, I'm like Talia mentioned earlier, I'm the high school ministry pastor and, and a lot of times I'll encourage my students to ask questions. And I think one of the hardest things that a lot of them have, um, the hardest thing for them to grasp is this idea of like, well, why doesn't, they ask, they ask it like this, why doesn't God love gay people? Why doesn't God love the atheists? Why doesn't God, and, and I think um, it's hard to answer that question sometimes because it's hard to convince them of this. No, God does love them. And when we say that Jesus is exclusive, he's not saying that he's ex- his love is exclusive. His love is actually available to everyone. That's good. In fact, what is it? I think it's in First Peter 2 or maybe it's in Second Peter. Second Peter, uh, he actually even says that God wants everyone to be saved. So he wants everyone to be saved. He gives that opportunity to everyone. He's already freed the Israelites. And even after he's freed the Israelites and they complain again, he still gives them a chance to be saved by the snake. So he, his love is all inclusive. But it's exclusive to the fact of like, in order for you to actually receive it, you have to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Like I like it, it's, it's for you. Every single person. All races, all around the world, not just Americans. Like it's like everyone, it's available for you but there's only one way to get it, and it's through Jesus, and that's what it means by it's exclusive, which is hard to hear, because we like options, yeah. right? I, I, um, my coordinator makes fun of me, because um, I eat a lot, and when we go to like, we went to Chick-fil-A the other day with some students, and I ordered like a number one and a number two, because I like <laughs> options, I'm like, I want both, right? So it's hard for us to hear, like there's only one option, but it's the truth, there's only one way to get that salvation, that's what it means when it says that it's exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also that the price that was paid by saying it's not exclusive, you know, if we said there's more ways, if everybody goes to heaven and you just have to be sincere about your faith, um, then Jesus's death was in vain. Like Mm. what he went through was so brutal and painful and Noah, you pointed this out um, to me the other day, but you said, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he Mm. says, you know, Father, if there's any other way, he's sitting there, sweat pouring down, that's turning into blood because he's in agony. Some people say he's basically having like a panic attack, Jesus. And he's saying, God, if there's any other way for these people to be saved, please let it happen. And God says, no, there's not another way. This is the only way. And Jesus chose to do that. But how disrespectful, you know, like it just, it feels like, I know we're saying it feels exclusive and it is, but um, like it seems like if we said, oh, there's multiple ways, 
at that point, all of that was in vain. Why would he? That's a cruel God to make his son go through that if there's more ways than that. So um, I do think that it is one of the harder, you know, things to swallow of our faith because it's the truth and it's hard to say no, no other way. But when you can explain and point people to what Jesus did and how much he loves us, it makes sense that that's why it's the only way. But it's, it's just very hard to tell somebody, you know, if your loved one didn't believe this, what are the consequences mm-hmm. for that? And that's where a lot of people have trouble with that exclusivity to right. say, I just, can we just broaden it a little bit? Because they, you know, they didn't know that or they didn't believe that. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with everything you said. I think that um, it almost sounds prideful for us because what we're telling everybody is that we're right and you're wrong. You know, it means that Jesus is the only avenue to salvation, that there's no other way. And for our culture, I mean, they get offended for everything nowadays. But um, uh, I, uh, I could disagree with people and still love them, you know, and I think that's where the rubber hits the road and people think like, oh, you guys are bigots or you, uh, you're so hateful. And I think, um, and I'll just own this, I've seen the approach of some people online and their opinions. Uh, it's not helpful. Um, even though we know that there is one way, I think that the ultimate goal of our instruction is to love people because God does, but we have to be sincere and truthful about the fact that it's only through Jesus that we're able to inherit eternal life. I mean, just like you said, it, it would be so dishonoring that he went to the cross in vain. He's not one of many ways, but the only way to salvation. And, uh, uh, right now, like I said, we live in a time where it, that's a hard pill to swallow because we personalize it. Well, uh, my sister or my friend, they're gay, therefore, I don't like that. You know, I mean, I have to correct my kids a lot and tell them there are things that are not okay. And I know I'm right about them. Uh, I could let them do what feels good, right? And I'm gonna suffer for it. Everyone else around them is gonna suffer for it. But uh, there are boundaries and there's truth that I gotta speak to them because I love them. And I think God is so honest that, hey, um, I think what's so crucial about this is that we have a God who made himself responsible. He came and he gave everything so that we could actually live. And it's the only way, the only way is through Jesus. So anyways. Yeah, it's really good. I think sometimes what we, what we encounter um, is, uh, Talia, you brought this up uh, earlier this week. Um, you know, you talked about like problem solving all of these snakes. I can't get over the snakes. Let's go back to the snakes for a second. We got to, we got to somehow develop a plan to kill all of these snakes, right? Like we've got to like somehow, I probably wouldn't be helping. I'd probably be running. Um, and, but, but I think that's oftentimes what we do to make ourselves feel better is, well, I'm going to come up with a plan that is going to make me feel good because the exclusivity of God, him saying that there's only one way in this moment, which by the way, the only way to be saved, if you go back to the Israelites in this moment was you had to simply provide an act of obedience, right? It wasn't like you had to barricade yourselves in a home so that the snakes wouldn't get you, right? Or uh, you had to, you didn't have to be the fastest person, but you, did, you certainly couldn't be the slowest person. Like whatever it was, only way to be saved was an act of obedience. And oftentimes, I, I don't know if you guys have heard this, um, I've heard it a lot, is I'll hear people say, you know, I'll, um, I'll get my relationship with God together when I start like correcting a lot of things in my life or I'll step foot in church again someday when I start like you know getting all my ducks in a row for example right like there's this mentality that we have of well you know and whether that's born out of a place of I'm mad at God um, or I'm upset with God and if God's the only way I don't want to have anything to do with him and so if that method of salvation is truly only through Jesus, I don't really want to have anything to do with him because he is exclusive. And so what happens is, is we build up all of these other reasons why, well, I, I, I think I have a plan to save myself. Mm-hmm. I think I have this plan in place where we could go and kill all of these snakes and we could avoid, we could avoid this. The Israelites are trying to avoid a physical death, right? Jesus is warning Nicodemus of this spiritual death And he says, the only way, the only method for salvation is through Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's the only way. And I think that exclusivity is oftentimes the thing that is so incredibly frustrating. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That is the method of salvation. That is the method of salvation. Mm -hmm. So then we continue. 
And we arrive at uh, quite possibly uh, the most popular verse in the entire Bible. And it says this. Notice that uh, right after we're talking about, we're referring back to the poisonous snakes. Then Jesus goes right into this and he says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I think verse 17 is just as powerful. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. To save the world through him. How can we know that we're saved? So if we have the, if we have the requirement for salvation, it's to be born again, right? If we have the method of salvation, that's Jesus and what he did for us, how can we actually know what is the evidence in our life that we're saved? Before we even get into how it is, I think it's really cool that um, we're really the only religion, Christianity is really the only religion that has assurance. Mm -hmm. If you look at some of the other religions, so uh, right now, next week at HSM, I'm preaching on the difference between Christianity and Islam. So I've been studying it a lot. Um, Islam, they don't actually really believe in the concept of forgiveness. They actually believe, and they don't even believe in the concept of you need to be forgiven for sins. It's in order to go to heaven, your rights have to outweigh your wrongs. It's not even that your rights cover up or forgive your wrongs. It's literally just like as long as you have done more good than bad, you are saved. There's no assurance of that. And you're laying in bed at night, you're like, did I do good, more good today than bad? Maybe I didn't even do any bad, but did I actually do any good? You know, okay, well, I'm kind to people, but I'm also having an affair with my wife. Does that affair with my wife outweigh my kindness? Because kindness is easy to me. And there's no assurance there, right? Or uh, Mormons, Mormons believe that everyone goes to heaven, no matter what. There's no assurance there. How do I know for a fact that, that I am saved if just everyone goes to heaven? That's the, the, like there's, there's no assurance, but we see in James, we actually see it all throughout scripture, but in James, James even talks about, I write these things to you so that you may know that you are saved. Mm -hmm. Personal relationship with Jesus is one of them. Holy Spirit is one of them. The fact that I have the Holy Spirit living within me, right? And the concept, the idea of, you know what? Like I know that I'm saved not because I'm perfect and thank God because I'm not perfect. Like praise God. Because if it relied on me being perfect, I would, I would not sleep at night because I'm not perfect. Mm. Our assurance is the fact that we have Jesus living inside of us and that he says he's the only way and I've accepted Jesus into my heart, right? So that's, that's the only way. Yeah. 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 yeah um, and I just want to call, shout out Sawyer, if you have a high schooler, <laughs> yeah, come on. you should have them at HSM right now. They're going through a series. My son is in um, high school. But Pastor Sawyer is going through with these students who, that's the questions that they're asking. You know, how is, why is Christianity right? And how is it different than other religions? And um, Sawyer has actually been sitting down with leaders in these other religions to ask them questions and to interview them so that they can do that. So send your kids to um, HSM. But I do think that that's something that's so fascinating about um, the assurance that we have. Craig, you have in your notes, Romans, 10 9 it says if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead then you will be saved so it's very simple it's like Jesus said look up at the snake it's believe you know believe these things and then you're saved and so we can be assured of that and in these other religions I have um, a family member who's Jehovah's Witness and to watch the anxiety mm. you know that, that God is always out to give me did I do enough right like you said um, is very very um, anxiety ridden and I feel feel like with Christianity, um, the way that Jesus tells us, it's so peace. Like there's just so much peace in that. I don't have to go to bed at night wondering if I did enough good. And so if there's something in your life where you're saying, you know, like I feel like I feel that guilt and I wonder if I'm pleasing God, if I'm doing the right thing, that's not Jesus. Like he yeah, basically right. says it's grace. You're saved if you believe, you know, that he says that right there in time memorize Romans 10, 9 and bring that, you know, assurance to yourself that this is how, um, this is how we know. We can know if we do these things, if we say, we believe these things, Jesus is master of our lives. And then, you know, the results of that, which I think you're going to talk about in a little bit, um, is that we get the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit gives us yeah. the assurance, basically the Holy Spirit. In, in Corinthians, it talks about how we get to have the mind of Christ. There's a verse that says, you know, who can know the mind of Christ? And then he says, you can. We can know the yeah. mind of God because right. we have the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit gives us that assurance. Like, 
that, that God has saved us and mm-hmm. we don't have to be um, anxious about those things. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's really good. So you brought up something that, that, I, that I was thinking about because you talked about this idea of right and wrongs, right? You talked about um, Islam and you talked about there needing to be more rights than wrongs. The problem, the problem with that and with us is that everybody's uh, definition of right and wrong is all subjective, mm. right? Everybody's is different. And so this idea that there's not one, like, what, imagine the Israelites, right? Go, go with the Israelites for a second, and they're like, all you have to do is look at the snake. Look at the, look at the snake. Can you imagine, like, if it was something like, all you have to do is run for 10 minutes in this direction, and then run a little bit in that direction, and then run a little bit in that direction, and then you'll be saved, Everybody's definition of a little bit is going to be different. So nobody is actually going to know what it is required of them to be saved. And Jesus is so clearly pointing this out. There's only one way. There is only one way to make this happen. And it's you have to acknowledge what I have done and what I, as you speak to Nicodemus, what I'm about to go do for you. You have to acknowledge that and that must rule in your heart. That's it. You have to acknowledge, you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then you will be saved. That is, that is so objective. There's no, there's no subjectivity there. It's so incredibly clear so that we don't have to walk around so nervous all the time. Am I doing enough good in my life? Yeah. Yeah, praise God it's not about the right political party. That's right. right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You know, praise God it's not about the right ethnicity or the right, you know, uh, socioeconomic status. Praise God it's not about the right opinion. Praise God it's not the, you know, do you like cheese pizza or pepperoni pizza better? Like, it's just like, there's, it's not about that. There's gonna be all different sorts of people who go to heaven because there's only one way, and it's yeah. through Jesus, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Praise it, God it, for that. It is pepperoni, by the way. Pepperoni's better. <laughs> well, that's true, but. Um, so, what, what's so interesting about this, though, is there's a, um, there's a, a, a tension, I think, that we wrestle with when it comes to salvation, and it's this. It's some people aren't necessarily convinced of the salvation argument when it comes to, well, I'm not even sure what I believe about what happens after I leave this earth, so what good would salvation do me in the future? Like, when I'm, when I'm dead, if I'm not even sure what happens to myself after I die, well, I'm not, I'm not convinced of that. Talia alluded to it just a few minutes ago because there's something so incredibly powerful that we see in Acts chapter two, verse 38. It says this, it says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, which means right after you do this, something happens. And here's what happens. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So often we think about eternity and we think about, we think of salvation and we think of eternity, right? We think of salvation, the thing that we get when we die. Salvation and eternity doesn't happen when you die. Eternity happens the minute that you accept salvation, that you recognize your need to be saved. You look at the requirement. You recognize that you're supposed to be born again. You look through the method. The only way to be saved is through Jesus. And then what is the result of that? The result of that is, yeah, we get to be with God forever. I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't wrap my mind around what forever will be, right? I I just, I simply can't do that. But what we see right here, yes, for eternity, I will be with God. Praise God for that. And I'm, I'm not even like probably doing it justice, what eternity is going to be like when I talk about it here on earth. But notice what we get for the here and now. We get the Holy Spirit. I look around our world today. I look around my life and I'm thinking, boy, I make some pretty bad decisions in my life. I make some pretty bad decisions. Like I should not have probably eaten that bowl of ice cream last night. Like I'll start right there. But there's other bad decisions that we make. And I'm looking around this world and I'm thinking, boy, we really could use a helper, a guide, a counselor, an advocate on our behalf that is going to help improve our decision making which is exactly what the Holy Spirit does on our behalf. It is there with us, which I love this because so many, eternity doesn't start when we die. Eternity starts the minute that we cross the line of salvation. We say, this is, I need you, Jesus. I need you. This is the result. I get to be with God forever. When I leave this earth and I die and my body wastes away, 
and my soul will either spend an eternity with God or eternity away from God. I know that if I do all of these things, I recognize my requirement. I got to be born again. I have been born again. I recognize that the only way for that, for that to happen is through Jesus Christ. I've done that. But not only will I spend an eternity with God, but now I've got something that's going to help me now, which is so amazing. And I look around the world and I'm like, our world needs help now. And I wonder sometimes if we won't get them on the eternity piece, but we would begin to see that people's need for, boy, I really could use a savior now. Like I can't even begin to think about what eternity is gonna look like, but my life is beginning to change now. It's beginning to transform now. I'm seeing evidence of my life changing now. I tell my students all the time, that's our biggest form of ministry. That's like your number one. Like, let's, let's talk about how to go and minister to people. That's amazing. Let's go serve people. That's amazing. But first and foremost, it's the way that you live your life. And there's one piece of evidence within us, and it's the fruits of the Spirit we see in Galatians. By the way, the fruits of the Spirit, you don't have unless you have the Spirit. That's right. Literally, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I don't know if that's all. I think that's all of them. Um, <laughs> you get that from the Holy Spirit. And someone's going through something, it's like, I just wish I had more joy. It's like, okay, well, do you have the Holy Spirit within you? You know, that's where joy comes from. You don't have unconditional joy unless you have the Holy Spirit within you. That's where unconditional joy comes from, right? And it's like this, you, you might, you know, feel comfortable right now, but unconditional peace comes from the Holy Spirit. So you're right, you, even if we don't get someone on the eternal side of things, which by the way, that should, like, that should get everyone, but it doesn't, the truth is it doesn't, because a lot of people can't even fathom that and don't want to believe it. Okay, let's look at the fact of, okay, do we live differently in our times of chaos? We should because we have the Holy Spirit within us and we have the fruits of the Spirit. Do we love people unconditionally even when they wrong us? We should because we have self-control because that's a fruit of the Spirit, right? And so as Christians, we are called to live with the fruit of the Spirit. And we only have that once we have access to the Spirit, which we only have access to after we give our life to Jesus, right? Yeah. When you give your life to Jesus, your life changes like that it does. Yeah, I think the other thing for me, I'm such a practical person, and I just think that Jesus, when we live life with Jesus, he just makes you better at life. Like, he just makes your life better, you know? Like, and I just think that that's enough. Like, I've seen living life with Jesus is so much better than living life without him, and it's not easier necessarily. It doesn't mean that you're free from pain, but I couldn't imagine going through pain and the suffering and the chaos that we went through in the last two years without Jesus. And so, yeah, it causes you to feel like laying down your life and dying to yourself daily is not the easiest thing, but it's the best thing. And your life is so much better because of it. So salvation, like you said, here on earth is so worth it. It's so worth it. It's not just the heaven after. What we get now is so transformational. And I think you've experienced that in your life. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, to add to your point, that's what sets Christianity apart, that we have a God who entered our world, you know, and he died on the cross, the grave was empty, and he sent that helper that does truly bring transformation. And uh, in my experience, uh, working your way towards God is exhausting. It is so tiring. You know, you got your do's and don'ts, and I got to do this, and you don't necessarily feel saved. And we make heaven about, I mean, we make salvation about a destination, not about the abundant life that Christ has given us access to, full of meaning and purpose. Uh, like I said earlier, no one had to convince me that I was a sinner. You know, I would be so frustrated because I would, I would be on my knees, I'd ask for forgiveness. But I was on this crazy cycle where I was just living in sin. I was dead in my trespasses, as the Bible says. I, I didn't know. I knew I could be forgiven, but I didn't know that I, need to be sa I needed to be saved. And um, some of you guys know my story. A lot of you guys don't. But I, I grew up uh, probably in high school. Is when I, I mean, I was a good student. I was uh, an A student. But in high school, I started going downhill and uh, started getting involved in the wrong crowd and got involved with the gang life and went to prison. Um, and uh, I knew deep down inside that that's not what I was created for. There was an emptiness in my heart, and, um, and I went through broken relationships. But I remember I went through a season in my life where I had over 30 people share Christ with me within a two-week period of time. Everywhere I'd go, I mean, we'd be smoking, people were talking about the Lord. I'm like, why are you talking about that right here, you know? And uh, everywhere I'd go, uh, we'd be drinking, and I'm like, here we go with these conversations. But... Um, Right before I came to know the Lord, um, I remember uh, one night I was coming home from a bar and I was drunk, okay, driving. 
and I'm driving and I ran into one of my friends. She was standing in the middle of the street at 2 a.m. And I drove up next to her and I'm talking to her and she goes, Noah, you're drunk. I'm like, yeah, of course. You know, doesn't everyone do this, right? And, and she tells me, you need to go to church. I'm like, oh man, here we go with that again. And um, what she didn't know was that I had people everywhere talking to me about Jesus, inviting me to church, telling me that, I, I mean, it's offensive, right? That I needed to be saved. And, um, and anyways, that Sunday, I found myself at a church who the senior pastor happened to be our pastor. He's sharing a message. And, um, and at, the end, at the end of his message, he said these words. I can't make this stuff up. He said, there's a guy sitting in here that everywhere you've gone, people have been sharing Jesus with you and you've been running from him. And I'm looking around trying to figure out who the heck told him, how, how does he know? You know, and I'm like, they just told him my whole life story, right? And, um, and he gave that invitation and I, I got up and I'm, I'm bawling at this point. I'm just crying, I go forward. And uh, I went into this little room, the room that we tell you guys to go into every, every single service. and. Uh, the guy sits there and he talks to me and I told him, I don't know what's happening and I don't know why I'm crying. And, and he goes, wow, let me, let me explain to you what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart. And um, that's when my faith journey, I, I like to say that I was awakened. I was born again. That's when it started. What I didn't know, guys, was that my friend Rachel was on staff with Chuck Boer and the rest of his pastoral team. And she went in that, I found this out five years later. That following day, she goes to a staff meeting and she says, we need to pray for a guy named Noah. Uh, I ran into him yesterday and he was drunk out of his mind. I didn't know this. I was sitting in church that following Sunday. People were praying for me. And I came to know the Lord on that Sunday. Five years later, I'm having a conversation. They're like, oh yeah, I remember we prayed for you. I'm like, what? And I began to see how the Lord obviously um, was calling me and I had a choice to make. And I responded in faith and my life has never been the same. And the evidence in my life was God's spirit. John 17, three says this, this is eternal life. It's about heaven. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, that they would know you. It's relationship. And Jesus Christ whom you've sent. There was a relationship there. I know that many of us here tonight, we have, maybe, maybe you're sitting in here and you don't know the Lord. We're gonna pray that God makes himself evident in a moment. But I know that a lot of us during the, beginning of the service, we sent in some prayer requests. Uh, why am I sharing this? Because prayer matters. It works. Uh, you wanted to pray for people that didn't know the Lord, and Talia asked us uh, to text in those names so that we could pray for them. So as a team right now, we want to pray that God would truly work on behalf of those people. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that it says Bill on, right? I'm just kidding. There, Oh, there's, there's a few. Yeah, there there's are. a few. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, That's good. And it's in quotations. I love that. But uh, we believe that we have a God who hears our prayer. And the one thing people do need is that um, they need salvation. They need Jesus. And we're going to intercede for that right now. And uh, I'm going to have actually Sawyer start out and praying for some of those names. Yeah, if you'll join me, let's pray. We, we won't spend, you know, five minutes on each of these names. We are gonna pray specifically for these people to come to Christ. So if you don't mind joining us in prayer right now. To God, we come to you. I pray right now that you plant seeds in the lives of so many who need you to God. And thank you so much for bringing Noah to us, to God. And you've showed us the power that you have to influence lives to God. I pray right now that we see revival and awakening in these lives to God. We lift up Alexis to you right now. We lift up Jimmy to you, Anthony, Riley, Shell, Carol, Nate, Rebecca, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you meet them with your love. I pray that you show them what it means to be embraced by God, to be loved and to be accepted and to be valued and to be pursued. God, I pray that you put people in their lives, God, put, put people in their past, just like Noah ran into a friend randomly, God. I pray that you place people in their lives, God, where they are able to see the love of Jesus through them, that they are a light to God. When they see those friends, when they see those family members, they experience you to God. And I pray that you soften hearts, break down barriers and bring them to you, God. We lift them up to you right now. It's in your name we pray. And God, I pray for um, Ryan and Tommy and Chris and Bill and Mike and Johans and Nevin. Lord, um, 
would you chase them down? Would you chase them down the way you chased Noah down, God? Um, Would you just go after them, knock down any walls, Lord, that you have to knock down to go after them? I pray that we would see miracles happen in their lives, even tonight, Lord, even this week. God, you can do it, and you love them, and we know that you do, and there's so many people who love them and want to see them come to you. So I pray, God, that you would do whatever it takes, God, to um, chase them down and bring them to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear stories of how this night um, something happened in them and, and changed them in your name. Creator God, we thank you that in the midst of everything that you have done and everything that you are doing in our lives, you know intricately every single name and every single story of every single person Uh, whose name is on this list. Uh, Father, first I just wanna say thank you for those people that, um, that that love these people so dearly, friends that are just praying for them and encouraging them and there with them uh, every step of the way in their life, uh, much like you had people in Noah's life just encouraging him. And so Lord, I wanna lift up to you Jerry and Vince and Davion and Heidi, Arlene, Nathan, Danny, Wesley and Tim. And Jesus, I thank you so much, uh, Lord, for um, everybody who um, is is thinking of those people. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would use them powerfully. And if it's not them, you would bring other people into their life and they would become aware of the requirement for salvation, that they would understand the method of it. And Lord, I pray that in the method that there would be a real encounter with you, Jesus. Lord, that there would be a change in their life, understanding, uh, God, that you can change everything about them. And so, Jesus, I pray that they would have a real uh, encounter with you this week, Jesus, and we love you and we thank you. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that there were Christians that were faithful to witness, faithful to their call to be able to share the message of truth with me and uh, point me to you. I love that uh, we as a church, we've been commissioned to be the people with the beautiful feet like Romans talks about to go and bring the news. Uh, you say, how how will they believe unless we're sent? And uh, I wanna pray God specifically for everyone that was mentioned. Um, uh, also for Jordan and Michaela and Tony and Kay and Amanda and Nikki and Nina. God, I pray that you would uh, truly put people in their path, God, uh, that, that there would be a light to them, God, to show the goodness of who you are through Jesus, God. I pray that there'd be an awakening in their spirit and that we would see the church uh, be put in front of them, God, that it would be so compelling to them that they would know that they have a God in heaven who knows them by name and cares for them and gave everything so that they would find purpose and meaning, God. I ask that you would truly just uh, uh, work on their hearts, but that uh, you would evidently just put people right in front of them. In Jesus' name, amen. I know with a room this size, there's uh, a few of us that on the topic of salvation that maybe some of us are in here and we've never really experienced a real relationship with Jesus. If you have, you would know. Uh, maybe, maybe you're in here tonight and you've been checking, up, checking off all the boxes. You've been doing all the right things and, and you're, you're striving and trying to earn your way to God. Um, I, I, I wanna encourage you to, like we just talked about today, that you would lift up your eyes and look to Jesus and know that he did something for you and for me that we couldn't do for ourselves, that you would just be confident in the fact that he died to forgive you that he died to give you purpose uh, and died to bring you into a right relationship with God, that you would put your trust and your faith in that. Uh, Maybe some of you guys are in here tonight and you're navigating this whole faith thing. I want you to know that... um, that God is real, that he loves you, that, that he desires relationship with you. In a moment, what I wanna do is I wanna just pray and I wanna ask that God would make himself known to you, but that you would have the courage to respond to Jesus, to say, I've tried it on my own. I've checked off, checked off all the boxes, but I'm still empty and not complete. Uh, that you would give that up and not wait till you have all your ducks in a row, not wait till you get your life in order because we've tried that on our own and that you would trust that Jesus's way is better. So what I wanna do is I wanna pray and I wanna ask God to really meet us where we're at tonight. God, I know there's people here tonight that, um, that don't know you or maybe they've met religion, but they haven't had a true encounter with Jesus. And I ask God that your Holy Spirit would just awaken hearts today.
that you would penetrate hearts. I pray for that person that's in here, God, that might be just uh, walking in guilt and shame because of the life that they chose and the decisions that they've made, God. I pray that you'd give them the courage to know that there's no sin, no mistake, no error that they've committed that you cannot forgive, that you cannot cover. Uh, In fact, Lord, you said that you died to take the guilt away, to take the shame away. And I pray, Father, that they would no longer walk in that, but they would be confident in what you did for them on the cross on that day. I ask Jesus uh, that you would uh, truly um, just awaken people's heart, that you would uh, make yourself known, that you would become real. God, for that person that had the affair uh, and has uh, just been living in the consequence of their decision, they don't know what to do, God. I pray that um, tonight they would know that they can find restoration, that they no longer have to walk enslaved, that they no longer have to uh, walk with that burden on their shoulder, God, that you would truly just set them free. But ultimately, God, for those that have never really met you, I pray that tonight you'd make yourself known. Right now, with everyone's eyes closed, if you're right with God, will you do me a favor and pray for those around you and ask that God would just stir in the, in the hearts of our people that are sitting right here before us or those that are watching online that, uh, that God would make himself known. But if, uh, if you wanna give your life to Christ tonight, if you wanna come back to him or if you wanna be, uh, get baptized, then I want you to repeat these words after me. We're gonna pray together. Just say, Father God, I know that you love me. And I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die for me, to forgive me of all my sin and to heal me of all my hurt. Right now I say yes to you. I ask that you'd fill me with your love and that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give you my life and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise God for all the decisions. So right now, in a moment, what we're going to do, we're going to stand up and we're going to worship God. Uh, Pastor Craig, Pastor Talia, and Pastor Sawyer, they're going to be right here in the front, ready to receive you and ready to uh, just congratulate you in your decision. Uh, If you're watching online and you're making a decision, you could uh, text the word amen to the number 77247. We would love to pray for you. We would love to give you more material so that you can grow in your walk with Jesus. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.